The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. So around here in Massachusetts, it's back-to-school season, uh, although I know that many students have actually already been back in school for a few weeks now. It's hard to imagine that my son, who just got his sixth-grade group assignment, I can't even imagine that at some point he's going to be going through this, but I actually know that probably I'm going to snap my fingers and he will be heading off to college. But for all of you who are rising seniors and maybe for those of you who are starting high school or parents of high school students, today we're going to be talking about a a bunch of things related to you. Uh, The first Uh, well, we're not going to talk about it first, but one of the things we're going to be talking about are ROTC scholarships, what they are and how to get them. But before we get that, we're actually going to devote the first pretty much two-thirds of the show to the tens of thousands of you out there listening. Uh, Maybe there aren't tens of thousands of listeners, but there are a lot of students who are going to be applying to the collection of schools that make up the University of California system. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So here to tell us everything we need to know is former Occidental and Marquette admissions officer, among many other wonderful institutions, and current California-based college coach educator, Steve Brennan. Hi, Steve. Hi, Beth. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having Good. me today. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And I know that you are joining us from sunny Southern California. Uh, and that is one of many things that makes you particularly well-equipped to talk us through these questions today. So we have a lot to cover, and I'm going to jump right in. Great. Um, One of the things that actually I hear a lot from families when we're just talking about college admissions in general is this idea that maybe ninth grade doesn't count. And um, I know that this is actually a really prevalent question out in California where families often ask, does ninth grade count and does 12th grade count? So what can you tell us about those two questions? Sure. Um, So... Do ninth and 12th grade count is a question I get a lot, and I say, yes, of course it counts, but it counts differently for the UC, the University of California system. Uh, The UC then it does in other places. So when the UC calculates uh, the institutional UC GPA, they do not include ninth and 12th grade when they calculate that number. And so when you see their published statistics. And one, th- one of the things I love about the UCs, Beth, is that they're pretty transparent. They, mm-hmm. they put a lot of information out there. They let you know uh, what the uh, admitted averages are as far as GPA, as far as test scores. They give you a lot of data. So you can have some sense for how competitive you will be in their process. But when they calculate that number, they are only doing that arithmetically for 10th and 11th. Right. And so when they do that, they do not use ninth grade to calculate their internal GPA. Now, 
I started by saying, yes, of course, ninth grade counts because it does. The courses that you take in ninth grade, of course, will determine the trajectory that you're on for the rest of your high school, uh, high school path. So if you don't take an appropriately challenging math class in ninth grade, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be behind and you're not going to have the courses that will have the most impact and will look the most impressive in the UC application process. Um, the most selective UCs, and there are nine, University of California campuses, and they, they roughly fall into three tiers of selectivity with UC Berkeley, UCLA, and UC San Diego in the, more, in the most selective tier. In the mm-hmm. middle, you have Irvine, Davis, and Santa Barbara. And in the least selective, you have Riverside, Santa Cruz, and Merced. Now, obviously, there's nothing to do with quality. That's just in terms of the selectivity for each. In the most selective, so for UCLA, Cal Berkeley, and San Diego, they really look beyond that GPA number. That GPA number is important, the one they calculate from just 10th and 11th, but they do look beyond that, and they do look mm-hmm. at ninth grade courses and ninth grade results. So even though they aren't factored into the GPA, they will look at that um, when they evaluate the, those, those applications. Right, and it's the same thing uh, that you see for senior year, right? At, at every college, there are no final grades for 12th grade when you're reviewing an application, but you are looking at what the student chose to take and how they're doing in that. So it's sort of similar to that is the way that they look at ninth grade, it seems. I may have just confused the issue. You explained it way better than I did. No, 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 that's right. And I think for 12th grade, the one difference, I think, for other colleges and universities than the UC system is that there are no mid-year reports. So the student will list the courses that she's taking in senior year on the UC application. If she makes any changes after she clicks that submit button, she absolutely needs to let the UC campuses know that she's made changes to her schedule. But it's often the case that if you apply to private schools, for example, at Occidental, we would see a mid-year report from senior year and get some sense for how that student was doing. The UCs do not collect that data. So once you click submit, they see the grades from 10 and 11. Those are the only grades they see. And then when 12th grade comes along, uh, at the end of the process, they look at 12th grade results, make sure that the courses that you indicated on the application are the ones that you have, in fact, taken, make sure that all the information is correct and that you haven't, you know, slacked off your entire senior year. No senioritis. Gotcha. Right. So they may not know about it immediately, but they will know about it eventually, and that's key. So. I'm going to jump around a little bit from uh, because this leads us to a perfect place, which is the transcript. We talked about all these courses and the way that most schools find out about what you took and how you did in those classes is by looking at your transcript. But it lo- works a little differently at the UCs, doesn't it? It does, for sure. Yes. So at the University of California system, they do not want a transcript. You cannot submit one. There's no way, there's no vehicle by which you can have one sent in. I used to joke with my kids that, you know, maybe you could wrap a transcript around a brick and throw it through the admission office window. We don't <laughs> recommend that. Um, there's no way to do it. So really, it's all self-reported data. So it's just what you report on the application. And if you're applying from inside California, it's pretty easy to do that part of the application because you put in your school name and it will pre-populate for your high school all the courses that are offered in your high school. And then oh, you go to cool. the 10th grade section and for 9, 10, 11, you... Uh, 12, they have the pull-down menus for what courses you've taken, and so you just select the one you've taken, and you're set. And then for 10 and 11, as you input the data, then there you can input the grade. And one more note here, 
uh, UCs do not look at pluses or minuses. It's just whole letter grade. So the transcript submission process only happens at the very end. Once you're accepted, I'm being optimistic here that you're going to get accepted to one of the UCs. Once you're accepted, then you will submit a transcript at the end of the process, but only at the very end when you decide on which UC you're enrolling. Gotcha. So only one of those UCs will ultimately get it if you end up enrolling at a UC institution. That's correct. Um, Okay. So a few years ago, subject tests were required for some of the UC uh, campuses. Has that changed? And what is the reality for students applying to the UCs and uh, whether or not they should be taking subject tests? Sure. So yeah, exactly right. It used to be required for all of them. Mm-hmm. And your application was not considered complete if you applied to the UC before, I think it was three years ago or two years ago, if you didn't have two subject tests. That has changed. Your application is now considered complete for all of the University of California campuses, even if you have zero subject tests. However, some of the UC campuses do strongly encourage or recommend that you have two subject tests. And my colleagues who have worked at Berkeley and LA in particular say, you know what? If you want to be competitive for Berkeley and LA, you really should have two subject tests in the area that you're interested in. So, for example, for Berkeley, specifically for chemistry and engineering, you want math two and a science test. Um, Davis says they don't care. Um, mm-hmm. Irvine says that you know they want math two for engineering and one other science. You know, uh, LA is the same as Irvine, so it varies a little bit from campus to campus. Um, generally speaking. The rough rule of thumb is if you're considering the UCs and you're thinking about the more selective campuses, and again, thinking about those three tiers of selectivity, so the more selective campuses would be LA, Berkeley, and San Diego, it's a great idea to have two subject tests with good scores in areas related to the the, uh, intended major. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's probably a little less important if you're looking at the uh, slightly less selective tiers, but still, it's probably a good idea to take them anyway. That's right. It sounds like. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, in okay. fact, like for Riverside, for example, in, you know, in the third tier in terms of selectivity, they say explicitly that all majors in the Bournes College of Engineering and the College of Natural and Agricultural Sciences, they want math two in chem or physics. So, right. um, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you, want, you want to be careful about that. And, again, you know, the UC is very transparent and they do have all this information pretty accessible online. Right. So you really want to check that out because you don't want to find out at the last minute that the major you want, even though it's a less selective campus of the UC system, that you actually don't really have what they're hoping to see in your application. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. So what, what is the... And I'm sorry, Beth, can I interrupt with yes, one, one more course. note about the subject test? So the UCs will accept testing administrations up through the December 5th SAT or the, the first December uh, SAT date. So, okay. um, yeah, that's December 5th this year. So even if you are looking now, you're listening, you're panicking, you don't have two subject tests, you want Riverside Engineering, for example, you still have time. They will take them up until the December administration. So even though you submit the application earlier, you still have time to get those subject tests in. Sorry, I just wanted right, to add that. No, no, no. That's super important and really good because the good news there is that you still have October, November, or December or all three if you need time to take them and do well in which to satisfy that testing requirement. So that's, that's an important point. What is, I feel like Jerry Seinfeld here, what is the deal with, <laughs> and now of course I've lost every high school student who's listening, uh, eligibility in the local context, the ELC, and what does it mean when a student has ELC? Sure. Um, the sad news is that it means less and less. 
historically, ELC meant that students who ranked in the top 9% of their graduating class at a participating California high school and who met the eligibility requirements, that is, had the right GPAs, had taken their A to G courses, the correct courses in terms of their distribution in English and math, science, social studies, world language, and electives, that they would be guaranteed admission to the UC system. That is still true. Okay. It used to be also that if you were ELC, that you would get a letter over the summer letting you know that you were ELC, and that campuses gave that significant weight when they evaluated your application. Now, that's, that's the piece that's changed. So you are still guaranteed admission if you are top 9% participating in California high school and you have all the requirements met. You're still guaranteed admission to the UC system. What's changed is that the more selective campuses really don't do a lot with that. They don't uh, give the, that the weight that it used to have. So... Um, all of them basically say something along the lines that, you know, will, will the campus guarantee admission to ELC? They say no, but ELC is taken into account in the review process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is for the most selective UCs, that's really not taken into account much. Well, because at that point, they're competing against a bunch of other kids who are also in the top 9%, right? And from all over the country. And, that's right. Um, Right. So it's just gotten that competitive that it's not enough necessarily to be top 9%. You probably need to be more like top 1% or 2% depending on the size of your high school at some of these campuses. That's true for that piece, for the ELC structure. Gotcha. Right. Yep. Okay. What does it mean along these same lines if a student's grades and test scores, so talking again about kind of predictability, uh, are, are either higher or lower than the published average? Is, can you make a blanket statement? My test scores are higher than the published average for my favorite UC. Am I definitely going to get in? Or my grades are lower than the published average. Does that mean I definitely won't get in? Yeah, great, great question. And, and happy to talk about this because there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of misinformation around that piece. So there's no guarantees. Of course, there's no guarantees. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the number, you can calculate your UC GPA and you come up with a 4.02, the way the UC calculates the GPA, and you look at the chart and you say, okay, for Santa Cruz, my GPA is higher than their admitted average, which is a 3.89, I think, was what it was last year. And so I'm going to be a great candidate. Well, maybe, maybe not. There's a lot of factors that go into the process. First of all, the UC does a holistic admissions review versus numeric, right? So if you're looking at the Cal State There are 23 Cal State campuses across California. Um, It's a great system. It's a huge system. They look at applications differently there for the Cal State. It's more numeric. It's numbers. It's GPA and test score, and they put it on a grid. And if you're in the right section of the grid, you're in, and if not, you're not. For the UC, it's different. So if your numbers are where they need to be on the grid, great, but that's not the end of the story. First of all, what went into making those numbers? What went into building those numbers? So if I have that GPA, but my schedule is not particularly rigorous, and that's the arithmetic GPA as UC calculated it, but my senior year, I only have three solids. I'm not going to be a good candidate at any of the UCs with only three solids senior year. Mm-hmm. What do my extracurriculars look like? So I have the numbers, but if I'm, how can I put this delicately? What's a nice way to say boring? Um, if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm not super Solid. involved in my school community, right. Yeah. Um, then, you know, that's something that factors in too. And mm-hmm. the UCs are looking for people who 
for, for young people who have made a difference in their campus communities and their local communities who have been engaged and involved and they don't want to admit someone who's going to come to campus and sit in his dorm room and play video games for four years, right? So right. they are looking for more than the numbers. The numbers help, but if your numbers are lower and you have a lot of other things going for you in terms of your application and a particularly rigorous schedule, for example, or you've been super involved in your community or um, you know, something unique that sets you apart, then you can still be a great candidate. And the reverse is also true. If your numbers are great or higher, that doesn't mean you're a great candidate, depending on what those other pieces, other pieces right. look like. So basically, it's just not a, it is really more of an art as it is at most of the selective colleges in this country. And just because it's part of a larger state system doesn't necessarily change that. So the transparency of the numbers is really helpful, but important for takeaway for students is the rest matters as well. The rest uh, matters as well. To, that's right. Yep. When it comes to UCs. Okay. We have time for, I think, a couple more things before we go to break. Uh, what about... The idea of um, kind of backdooring your way into certain programs. As an example, I would say it's really difficult to get into engineering at Berkeley. It's certainly considered one of the best engineering programs in the country. Should I then maybe apply to a different program at Berkeley with a plan of transferring into engineering once I arrive? Yeah, that's really dicey. That's really dicey. A couple things. We were just talking about holistic admissions, right? And so if your application is robotics and science research and everything about your application points towards engineering and you apply for economics in arts and sciences or you apply for history, am I going to believe you? Is that a consistent application? Does that make sense? What story does that application tell about you? It's not going to match up. And so first of all, I'm going to be pretty skeptical of that application. Okay, robotics, robotics, robotics. Why history? Exactly. So that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry? Doesn't make sense. Exactly. No. Yep. Doesn't make sense. It it doesn't, uh, it doesn't all paint the same picture. So that's one thing. The second thing is it's, if, if you can't make the cut to get into engineering now, why do you think after two years at Berkeley, which is likely going to be harder than your high school, you're going to make the cut then? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to ask yourself, do I, am I in love with Berkeley or am I in love with engineering at Berkeley? If I want to be a bear, if I want to be a cow bear, if I want to go to school there, and if I'm in engineering, that's icing on the cake, but if I'm in something else, I would still be happy, then maybe you know, picking a, an alternate major is a good way to go. Uh, if the only reason I'm interested in Berkeley is because of engineering, then I want to be really thoughtful about that and, and indicate that on the application. The other thing with Berkeley is that it does not allow you to list a second major. So... Really, you're in for that one thing. And then there can be other issues, right, with impacted majors. So you could arrive there and find that there really aren't spots for you, even if you did want to transfer in. That's exactly right. So they, um, they, they have a pretty tight uh, funnel is the way I would talk about it. And so that they don't attrit many students out of those highly selective programs. Right. Um, they have built-in capacity for students who are coming in at the two-year process, but, but for a four-year internal transfer, boy, that's really hard to do at those highly selective and impacted programs. Gotcha. Very, very quickly, uh, what if do others, we talked about levels of selectivity and Berkeley and UCLA and San Diego being in that most selective tier. Do the schools in the less selective tiers hold it against you if you apply to UCLA and Berkeley? Do they just assume that you're not as interested in them? I love that question. Nope, they don't. They don't <laughs> okay. know to which other UC campuses you're applying. That information is not, it's shared on the system level, but not at the campus level. So if you apply to Irvine and, 
um, UCLA is your top choice and you list UCLA first, Irvine's not going to know. Awesome. That is super helpful. All right, Steve, hold that thought. We are going to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit more about applying to the UCs, including talking about the essay prompts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. The Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel, from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. If you're just joining us, you've missed a fabulous first segment. You have to go to the archives and listen to that when the show is over because I have my colleague, Steve Brennan, here, who is an expert in the UC system and is talking to us all about the things that students and parents need to know when they're thinking about and actually applying to the UC system. Uh, So, Steve, back to our conversation. Let's talk a little bit about the two-year path to the UC system. We get a lot of questions about starting at a local community college and then transferring. And uh, it seems like in California, that's actually something that they encourage for certain students. So can you talk to us a little bit about that option? Sure. That's exactly right. Um, The master plan for higher education in California is what really drives this And the master plan prioritizes the number of Californians who have access to four-year education. 
that is their bottom line, that's their guiding star, however you want to, uh, whatever metaphor you want to use there. And so if you are in a four-year campus, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, and you're competing to apply to UC Davis with a kid from Diablo Valley Community College, you're going to be behind her. Right. The priority is to maximize opportunities for kids to, for, for all Californians to have a four-year education. And so if you're at Diablo Valley, you do not have a path to a four-year education. And if you're at Stanford, you do. So I talk to a lot of students who are very interested in the UC. Their goal is the University of California system. They want their bachelor's degree to have the UC across the top. And they apply, and they're worried about their admission chances. I say, okay, definitely apply. Definitely don't write it off. I always tell students, you're not going to get in if you don't apply, right? Right. UC Irvine is not going to come knock on your door and say, hey, do you want to join us? So definitely apply. But if you don't get in, don't go to a Cal State. Don't go to a four-year private. Go to your two-year college and make a plan. And the two-year colleges all have transfer admission uh, uh, professionals who will work with you to make sure that you have the appropriate coursework to be able to transfer to your target campus. Uh, full disclosure, my brother teaches in the community college system here in California. I've given presentations um, at a couple of uh, community college campuses, and they do a great job of letting students know through the transfer centers what classes they need to take. But unlike transferring to private schools, but to transfer to the UC system, you can only do it at the 60 credit mark. You have to have two years under your belt, right? So 60 credits of, of UC transferable uh, work. So two years of work, you can't transfer after one year or a year and a half. You can't transfer, uh, you can't transfer after you have that, but of course you'd then be losing credits. So if you have a bunch of AP credits and financially it makes more sense for you to go a two-year route, that can be one way to get those 60 credits maybe in a year and a half, but you do have to have that number of credits to be able to apply. The University of California system overall sets aside about one-third of the seats for community college or, or two-year transfers. So there is a lot of capacity. It's baked into the system. They are very interested in getting those applicants, and there's a lot of great kids who come through that way. So um, there's, there's no shame in that game. I don't know if kids say that anymore, but <laughs> that's, that's absolutely not a, not a bad way to do it. And uh, if students are really committed to the UC and that's what they want their undergraduate diploma to say and they're not able to access it or it doesn't make sense for them financially, logistically, et cetera, um, coming right out of high school, that's, ab- that's a great option down the road. Perfect. And I think that's really helpful for people to understand. One key thing that you mentioned there that I want to stress is that the best path to a transfer into the UC system is the two-year program and not a four-year program at another school, right? I think you'd said to me once, their assumption is you already have your four-year path to a degree. We don't, that's, we're worried about the people who don't have that path. That's exactly right. Yep. You're taken care of as far as the state master plan is concerned. If you're at a four-year school, even if it's a private school or now a state school, or even if it's a, you know, highly selective campus, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be behind at the back of the line after all the kids apply from the two-year campuses who are great candidates. And there are gotcha. a lot. So yeah, that's, that's, exactly. that's a great point. Yep. Because a lot of them are taking this, uh, this path. Okay. So let's talk, before we get into essays, let's talk about uh, the timeline for when you actually apply to the UCs, because this is a little different than it works at a lot of other schools. Sure. So the UC application window for submission is November 1 to November 30th. Unlike years past, however, the application is open now. So you can go into the application, create your account online from the UC website. Uh, You can just do a a web search for that, uh, take you right to the front page, create your account. It'll ask you a couple questions. You'll be able to 
get started within about five minutes. You can work on that application. The campuses won't see any data until November 1st. And after November 1st, only when you click submit. You can't accidentally apply. So feel <laughs> free to use it as a template. Feel free to use it as uh, a draft until you're ready to, to click submit. You can go ahead, create the account, start working on it now, um, go through, indicate all your campus choices, etc., and start working on the essays. The application window, again, you cannot submit until November 1st. You must submit by November 30. Please do not wait until the end of the month in November to submit. Lots of reasons for that. They get, I don't remember last year, two years ago, they had something like 45% of all applications come in in the last two days. Um, And three years ago, the system crashed. Now they have accommodated the procrastination of my fellow Californians, but just don't put yourself in that situation. The last thing you want to see at 11.50 p.m. on November 30th is the spinny wheel. Yes, exactly. And if you don't get it in by November 30th, unless the system crashes and they sort of give you a a pass on that, you're out. You're out of luck. You're until the next year. Right. So That's exactly right. And this year, just so folks are aware, November 30th is the Monday after Thanksgiving holiday. So don't have this all hanging over you over Thanksgiving break. Get it done before then. Start working on it now. Yes. Be be ready to go. Why do I have this vision of half the state of California who is applying to college having no fun at all over their Thanksgiving break? Because they're not listening to us and they're not going to start in advance. So don't be that person. That's right. Don't, don't be that person. That's don't right. Don't be that person. Let's talk essay. The, the UC application has, for a long time now, had two essays that students write uh, the prompts to me have been the same. You may you know them a little bit m- better than I do, but they seem to have re- remained relatively stable over the past few years. And um, these are an important component because, as you mentioned, this is a holistic review process at the UCs, which means they're reading these essays and they do factor into the admissions process. What... Let's talk in general terms about the essays, how much students need to write, that kind of thing. Sure. So there are two essay prompts. These have not changed. I've mentioned a couple of things that are different from past years when students might have been applying, a few older brothers and sisters going through it. These essay prompts have not changed. Um, There are two prompts. You have a 1,000 words total. The UC indicates they prefer the shorter of the two to not be fewer than 250 words. So if they're 500 words each, great. If it's 700, 300, that's fine too. Just don't go too big or too small on any one of them. Now, I will say, Beth, that there are two, while there are two prompts, there is an additional comment section um, up to 550 words that they say, quote, tell us anything you want us to know about you that you don't have the opportunity to describe elsewhere in the application. So most students, 90% of students, won't use that space. Right. And that's perfectly fine. If you have something that makes you a little bit of an outlier that you need to explain, you switched schools three times in four years, or um, there was a health issue perhaps that you had to face and and overcome, um, then you can use that space. But you should not feel like you have to. Don't feel like you have to. No, that's right. That's right. Most people will not. Um, The only other wrinkle is that uh, system-wide for all nine campuses, the applications are exactly the same for all nine campuses except for Cal. And this year for Cal, for UC Berkeley, they are accepting uh, letters of recommendation for the first time. And they do expect if you are going to major in the College of Chemistry or Engineering, that something in some of your essays indicates why. Right. What you've chosen. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about the specific prompts. Um, 
Here is one. Describe the world you come from, for example, your family, community, or school, and tell us how your world has shaped your dreams and aspirations. What are some of the mistakes you see students making with this prompt? Right. So um, oftentimes students will see and instead of or. So when it says, for example, your family, community, or school, they don't want all three. Yep. Just as the advice is for all essays, you know, inch wide, mile deep is a great way to approach this. So think about one world. Think about one thing that you want to define as the world that you've come from. And there's really no right or wrong answer here, but don't try to do too much. Don't don't try to be too broad and talk about each of those pieces, right? So um, that's, that's a big one that I see students make. The other thing is that, you know, yes, the UC is on record as saying, you know, look, these prompts are a way to get students to be creative, to write, to get them thinking, to share their story. I don't want to learn about your school. I want to learn about you. I don't want to learn about your family. I want to learn about you. So uh, what's important there is just to make sure that you are using the essays to show important things about yourself, and that's what the admission officer is interested in, not about Model UN Club, but why, of all the stuff you've been involved with in school, Model UN is important to you and what you've learned from it. Absolutely. What about the second prompt? And for whatever reason, I thought I had it in front of me and I'm... I've got it here. Awesome. <laughs> tell, tell us about a personal quality, talent, accomplishment, contribution, or experience that is important to you. What about this makes you proud? How does it relate to the person that you are? So in many ways, topic of your choice. It's very broad, right? It's very yeah. broad. And a lot of times, you know what? I have students start with two because they can get some momentum on two and come back to one. Number two, it, you can write about anything. Yep. Personal quality, talent, accomplishment, contribution, or experience. I don't have anything to write about. Sure you do. You've had an experience in your life, right? Write about that. What they are looking for here, is the, what's important here is the last part. How does it relate to the person that you are? So who are you? And how did you become that person? That's really the, the important piece there. So anything that can show me, show your admission officer, show your reader at the UC something about who you are, something about what's important to you, that's what makes that essay successful. They don't, it can be funny, it can be lighthearted, it doesn't have to be super serious. Um, if you are funny or lighthearted, write that way. Yes. If you're not, don't try to stretch and be someone Please you're not on the, on the application. Yeah. And I think, um, to me, these prompts really raise the same issues that we deal with on the common application or really most uh, colleges' applications or who have their own application, which is... They just want to learn something important about the student, and the topics are purposefully broad because they want you to choose what you share with them. And um, I'm curious if and there are any that stand out to you as having been particularly well done and really serving the student well, put you on the spot. Are there any examples that come to mind for you? Sure, absolutely. And I think, you know, you're you're exactly right, too, in how students should approach it. I think that number one seems to be trickier for folks, but the good ones I've seen for number one, and I think the reason number one is trickier is because that dreams and aspirations piece, right? And so students Mm -hmm. read that and think, ah, what's my aspiration? What's my dream? They get hung up on that a little bit. They feel like it has to be literal, and it doesn't. It doesn't. I've read great essays, successful candidates who've applied and who are now enrolled in the UCs who've in the past written, so for number one, that world that you come from and how your world has shaped your dreams and aspirations. One young man wrote about the world he came from as being in uh, a hardworking immigrant family, and his grandfather on his deathbed looked around at his gathered sons and grandchildren and said, you know, gosh, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. 
<laughs> and so right. this young man's dream or aspiration was to have a well-balanced life. That yes, he wanted to work hard, of course, but that there was more to life than that. And so the world he came from shaped exactly led to this dream or aspiration. Very cool. I love that. I think... I think sometimes, too, when people get really hung up on what is the world I come from, they immediately go to um, maybe their ethnicity or their um, community that they're in, right? Whereas I've seen students write great essays about this topic for the UCs about, I had one student write about a group of friends she had in middle school that remained her friends to this day and how they kind of together learned to not try to so hard to be in the popular group, but instead to be who they were and how that allowed them to really blossom as people. It was so well done. I remember it still vividly and it's been years, right? So world isn't so literal all the time. Exactly. No, it can be music. It can be your favorite sweatshirt. It can be the Model UN room. One young man wrote about the Model UN room being the world he came from. And I liked it so much because it revealed so much about him because he showed that the the world he had – before this was one that was pretty narrow. He came from a pretty tightly knit community. He hadn't really gone beyond that. He didn't know many people of difference or people from different backgrounds. And being in Mali UN really opened his world. And so his dream or aspiration was to be around difference the rest of his life, to be around people who would stimulate him and be from different backgrounds and, and learn about different cultures. And he was an engineering candidate. And I like to bring that up so that it doesn't have to have a one-to-one relationship with your intended major. It can. And I've certainly worked with a number of great kids who are at the UC now who wrote about wanting to do aeronautical engineering because of Legos or because of robotics or because of, you know, more traditional paths like that. And that's, that's great. That's fine. Um, but, but don't think too literally about this. There are a number of ways to get to a, a point of success with this essay prompt. Right. Awesome. And again, to highlight, it's a thousand words total. As Steve said, you want to make sure that at least if you're going to split them up and they're not going to be equal length, one needs to be at least 250 words long. So you can't have any that are too short or too long. Uh, Steve, we have come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for taking your time to share everything you know about the UC system with me and with your with our listeners today. It was super helpful. And uh, hopefully people will will listen and take some good advice when they're filling out that application well before the November 30th deadline. That's it. Yep. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks, everybody. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking all about ROTC scholarships. So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters. 
the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. As I promised before the break, I'm really excited to welcome back Lori Peltier, who is our resident college coach finance expert, or one of them, and a current ROTC mom, to the show to talk to us about ROTC scholarships. Boy, easy for me to say. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lori. How are you? Hi, Beth. I'm fine. Thank you. Great. Um, so I'm going to start out with a really basic question uh, because I do think that some listeners out there might be saying, scholarship sounds great, but what is ROTC? So could you tell us what ROTC is? Sure. ROTC stands for Reserve Officers Training Corp. And it has um, been around since 1916. And it was a way to train students for the military, and the Army, Navy, and Air Force all have branches of ROTC. You may be familiar with junior ROTC, which happens in the high school level, um, but what we're talking about today is ROTC on the college campus. Gotcha. Okay, so what's the benefit of an ROTC scholarship? Uh So you can be a member of ROTC without getting a scholarship, but what the scholarship will give you is 99% of the time free tuition, uh, free books, a monthly stipend uh, towards your living expenses. And most colleges today, if you're an ROTC uh, cadet on scholarship, will also give you free room and board. The college will chip in and and give you a free room. So you could uh, go to college for free or get two or three of your years at college totally free with an ROTC scholarship. That, of course, sounds fabulous. But what is the commitment on the the one hand? That sounds fabulous. But what is the commitment that the student has to make in order to get that fabulous scholarship? Right. Um, There is a big commitment. Um, The student would need to sign a contract, and it is a very binding contract that says at the end of their college days, they will join that branch of the service and do a set number of years. The number of years varies based on the branch and the, the, um, the division within the branch of the military that you're going to, but it also varies depending on the amount of scholarship that you're given, you know, whether it was one year, two years, three years, or four years. Um, I've seen as little as a three-year commitment for active duty in that branch of the military and as much as a 12-year commitment. 
I would say on average, it's four to eight years commitment. Okay. And you mentioned earlier, and I just, uh, it's sort of a little bit off topic, and I apologize, but I did want to clarify. You mentioned that um, every branch of the military has ROTC. Does every branch of the military have ROTC on every campus that offers ROTC? No, no. There's over a 1,000 colleges that have ROTC programs, but, for example, the campus that my daughter is at only has Army ROTC. They don't have Navy or Air Force. Gotcha. Okay. um, But there is very easy ways to search online to find which campuses have which branches. And even if your campus doesn't have that offering, Mm -hmm. usually they will um, take students from other campuses. So I know um, in the area where I am in central Massachusetts, there's one college that has Army ROTC, and there's about seven colleges in the area that don't have it, so their students go to that campus to do their ROTC commitment while they're in college. Gotcha. Okay. How early should a student start? So if, you, if you're listening and you're thinking, this is pretty compelling, whether you're a parent or a student, how early does the process start of applying for an ROTC scholarship? I think a lot of thought um, and debate needs to go into whether this is the right route for you, and that could start as early as junior year in high school, but the actual applications should be submitted between October and January of senior year of high school. So ideally, if you could have the application done by October 1st of senior year, that's the ideal time to submit it. They will accept them up through January, but I think your chances are better the earlier you get it in. And what's involved in the application? Is it a pretty intensive thing? And are, you know, what does an applicant have to do? Uh, the application is pretty intense, and it, it's online. Um, so I'm familiar with the Army one because that's the branch that my daughter's doing. Um, so the student fills out a lot of information about themselves online and answers some essay questions submits their high school transcript and their SAT or ACT scores. Um, but also there are um, an interview is required by a military science instructor. A military science instructor can be found on any college campus that offers ROTC. So she had to make an appointment on her own and go and interview with this person who asked her a series of questions just to see how prepared she was uh, for that type of military training. Um, I I do recall one of the questions in the interview was, could you jump off of a um, diving board backwards, blindfolded, totally clothed, Mm. um, or swim across a swimming pool, totally clothed, holding a gun over your head? Um, Are you afraid of the dark? You know, so so Mm. things like that just to kind of... um, get to, you know, their their character. So the interview is required. The other thing that's unique is that a physical fitness test is required. It can be done by your uh, phys ed teacher on your high school campus. It can be done by a coach. It could be done, I, I think, by a military science instructor at a college campus um, or someone involved with junior ROTC at your high school. Um, but it's sit-ups, push-ups, running. Uh, each branch has their own requirements for what um, quantity of, of those exercises or the speed that you have to be able to run to pass. Even if you don't pass, you still submit your scores, your physical fitness test that the um, coach or whoever has signed off on. So that makes it a little different than other scholarship applications. 
Sure, there isn't usually that that component to it unless, <laughs> right. of course, it's a, an athletic scholarship, in which case they assume you right. can do those things because they've seen right. you be uh, athletic on the field. So it's really one, are you applying for a scholarship at a particular school? Or are you applying for an ROTC scholarship in general and then all applying to college separately? Very good question. Um, Correct. You are applying to college separately. So as this is going on, you still need to do everything you need to do for college admissions anyways uh, at, at any of the schools you're interested in. The last question on the ROTC scholarship application is, which schools are you considering attending? List up to seven schools that you would like to attend and do ROTC on that campus. Um, and of the seven schools you list, I believe it was three or four had to be public institutions. Mm-hmm. So in my daughter's case, she had 11 schools that she was interested in. She had to come down to seven that were her first choice. And of the seven, three of them, I believe, had to be public. So from that list of schools, when she received notification that she was awarded the scholarship, they told her which school she could use the scholarship at. And did she do students? Well, I don't, particularly what happened in your daughter's case, but um, did she only, was she only allowed to use it at one school? Was she offered the opportunity to use it at a number of schools? Do you know no, anything in, about how? Yep, right. In, in her case, she only got offered at one school, but mm-hmm. her roommate, who's also doing ROTC, was offered three schools. So I don't know if some kids get all seven schools, you know, go ahead, here's your, you know, we'll give you the scholarship you can use at any of your seven schools, Mm -hmm. or if they really narrow it down. The most that I've seen is three. Um, And it was probably because that student was a higher caliber academic student, and she was also signing on for nursing, which, you know, all of the branches of the military need more nurses. Gotcha. So what you want to study can make a can have an impact, it seems like, on whether or not you're going to be offered one of these. If you're going to major in something particularly useful to the branch of the military, they're going to right. be more excited than if you want to be a literature major, perhaps. Correct. Correct. Okay. Makes sense. How do you find out if you've earned an ROTC scholarship? Uh, they notify you on the website. It was really kind of odd. We were expecting a phone call, a letter, an email, something, and mm-hmm. we weren't receiving anything. Um, and we didn't find out until March. Some people find out as early as November. You know, mm-hmm. if they apply in October and they make it through the first pass, the way that I've heard that it is done is a committee sits and meets each month and reviews all the candidates that are in the pool that month and may decide as early as November that you're going to receive a scholarship and would tell you in November. She didn't find out until March, and it was only because she kept checking the website where she had sent in her application just to see if they sent her any messages back on her application. And finally, we saw, congratulations, you have a three-year scholarship. Gotcha. So being vigilant and checking that website is going to be ultra important for them, for students. Right. Lesson learned on that one. Yeah, we, we, we might have heard a little earlier. We, she wasn't checking every day, so who knows. Right. What if a student, okay, so your daughter goes off to college. Um, she's in ROTC. What does that entail for her while she's on campus? It's like an extra class for her, so, and it does count for credit. So two days a week, she has a military science class um, that she has to plan the rest of her classes around. Those classes cannot change. So that's what goes on to her schedule first is her military science classes. They learn 
um, a lot of different things in those classes about um, the history of the military, you know, the different rankings, the different uniforms, and, and all the lingo that goes along with the military. And then three mornings a week, they have physical training. Pretty intense physical training, and probably the most intense part for a college kid is that it's at 6 a.m., three huh. mornings a week. Um, when they have their classes and their physical fitness training, they have to be 100% in uniform, whatever that uniform is. Um, so they can't wear their civilian clothes, but they are issued all the uniform requirements that they have. Gotcha. Do they have to wear that uniform for the whole day or just for when they're doing that, those activities? Uh, just when they're doing those curious. activities. Um, okay. But, you know, you know, if you have classes back-to-back, it, it, sometimes it is all day. Yeah, I used to see students on campus in their uniforms, and um, I always wondered that, so I was really more just a curiosity question. Mm-hmm. What, if, um, what if a student enrolls and is doing this and is realizing, wow, I don't really like these military science classes, and you know what, this PT three days a week, <laughs> not enjoying that, even if it is keeping the, 15, the freshman 15 at bay. Right. Right. Can you uh, opt out at any point? And do you know how, you know, what if you've done three years in an ROTC scholarship and you decide at that point, you know what, I don't think I really want to do this anymore. Right. What are your um, options? It, because they sign a contract, the options are limited. Um, in my daughter's case, they just found out about a student who was graduating last spring. He didn't show up at the last ceremony when he was supposed to contract with the Army, and all the rumors were flying, and it turns out that he flunked a drug test mm. right before graduation. So he had a four-year scholarship at the school. He now has to pay back four years' worth of tuition that the Army wow. paid because wow. he cannot join the Army because he flunked that test. So... You know, if you decide it's not for you and you've already contracted, you would have to pay back any money that the military had already given you. Gotcha. Okay. Lori, that was super helpful. Thank you so much. I think the the bottom line takeaway here is you need to make sure this is really the right choice for you. It's a really phenomenal option, but you have to feel really great about going into the armed forces after you graduate, and you have to feel really good about 6 a.m. PT Uh, three days a week. And for some kids, that might be great. For me, that would have not been great. (laughs) We'll just put it that way. All right. Well, thanks so much to Lori and Steve. Uh, I do want to tell you guys about our show next week. A few weeks ago, we ran a contest asking for listener questions and segment suggestions. And in next week's show, we're actually going to be starting to tackle some of those. Uh, And, you know, for some of you listening, it may feel like... um, college is really only for A students. And I know that sometimes we do talk a lot about highly selective institutions, but there are more than 4,000 colleges and universities in this country, and there are options for every kind of student. And so one of the things we're going to talk about next week uh, is the process of applying to college if you're not a great student, maybe even a C or a D student. Uh, We're also going to welcome former MIT admissions officer Zaragoza Guerra uh, to the show. He's going to walk us through uh, MIT's application essays and how to best approach those. So if you're thinking about applying to MIT, you're not going to want to miss that. And we're also going to delve into national merit scholarships uh, as well. As a reminder, you do not have to listen to our shows live. We love it when you do, but you don't have to. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. And actually, if you visit iTunes and search for our show, you can download the shows from there for free. But you can also actually sign up to have each new show sent directly to you. 
So go and check that out. But also get into our archives on the Voice America website. There's some particularly useful stuff in there about the common application. There's this great stuff we just shared about the UCs, about ROTC scholarships. Uh, There's great stuff about the new SAT. Uh, So you want to check that out, especially if you're going through this process this year. Uh, Don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.